Okay, folks, today is uh, New Year's Day at 7.16 a.m., and this podcast is dealing with espionage. Espionage comes off of the Espionage Act of 1917, created by the United States Constitution in regards to spying while serving in the armed forces or dealing with military operations. Now, what do we get out of that, folks? In 1994, while serving in the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Navy illegally implanted me, broadcasting my thoughts and my mind to the enemy, to society, to the government, without my consent or court order or probable cause. Folks, when you're training for war, you don't want the fucking enemy to know what the fuck you're thinking or doing, what you're planning on doing. But that's what the Navy did. And now, we are in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals right now, leaving the questions as to why the Navy implanted me, why the FBI is not investigating it, and why the Espionage Act created by the Navy and the FBI aiding and abetting the crime and not solving it, folks. We are in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, folks. Will these judges stop the espionage, stop the violating of the Fourth Amendment, stop illegal eavesdropping and wire team, or will they let that continue on, folks? That's the questions for you to ask. Why? Why the espionage? Why the illegal eavesdropping and wiretapping? Why the violation of the Fourth Amendment rights? Will these judges in the Fifth Circuit stop the crime or will it continue on, folks? That's what we want to know. We go to, we go to a courtroom. We go to a courtroom, folks, to your federal district court. When you go to the federal district court to file a lawsuit, it's because you have a problem, folks, and you want to stop a crime. You don't want the judges to ignore the crime, to ignore the problem, folks. You file a lawsuit because you have a sincere problem, folks, and you want it stopped. You don't want the, the, the federal government to continue on eavesdropping and wiretapping, implanting whoever they want to fucking implant. Do you want your kids to be implanted when they're at birth, coming out of, coming out of the womb and implant your child while he's in the hospital, when you're not knowing, when you're in the dental office, when you're getting butt implants or fucking uh, breast implants? When you're going for surgery, do you want them to continue to track you and torture you because of who you are and they hate you? Folks, if we don't put a stop to this crime, folks, the espionage, the illegal eavesdropping and wiretapping, implanting Americans now, it's going to get worse, folks. We have to have a case, a law that stops all this, folks. And this is what my fight is right now. My my fight in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals is to stop all the illegal espionage, illegal eavesdropping and wiretapping, implanting and tracking Americans, folks. We don't want the government to continue on violating our civil rights. We don't want the government to continue on invading our privacy, folks. As enough, they can see what the hell we're doing via satellites. We don't want them in our living rooms. We don't want them hearing our conversations, what we plan on thinking, what we plan on doing, or what the fuck we're planning on doing, or where we're going. You don't want that, folks. And this fight in the Fifth Circuit of Court of Appeals, folks, is to stop all this fucking criminal activity by our government. If they don't stop it at the Court of Appeals, who's going to stop it, folks? I challenge you to continue on hearing this podcast, folks, because it will be added. United States Federal District Court for the Western District of San Antonio, Texas, Judge Ezrod and Judge uh, Bemprad, both denied my case, folks, of illegal espionage, illegal eavesdropping and wiretapping, and violating the civil rights and liberties of an American citizen, folks. They denied the case. Why? I don't know, folks. But they deserve to be impeached. 
Folks, if you have a crime in front of you and you're a judge, folks, you want to stop the goddamn crime, not say, oh, well, we, don't, we, we can't understand what the hell you're doing. We don't know what you're thinking. You're not broadcasting your mind. Folks, if you could read my mind, you know what the fuck I'm thinking of doing? It's espionage. It's spying. Illegal eavesdropping and wiretapping. These judges in the district courts, folks, deserve to be fucking impeached. Deserve to lose their jobs. We're here to preserve the Constitution, not abolish it and destroy it. Violating your civil rights and liberties. Thank you. Okay, folks, back to the espionage case. Uh, like I said, uh, this case has been going on since 1994. Uh, while serving the United States Marine Corps uh, during boot camp, the U.S. Navy illegally implanted me or spying on me uh, during during war. The Gulf War was the era. And uh, they were tracking me and, and reading my mind and broadcasting that to society, to the government, to the enemy, where I was training at, what ship I was going on, uh, if I was going out to sea, where the rifles were kept, where the M16s were kept, where the handguns were kept, where all the military ammunition was kept out in the desert in California. I can't tell you where, but I was broadcasting that to the enemy, in which they should have no concern. Just be folks. And the problem here, folks, is that when I was honorably discharged, when my obligation ended in the military, the U.S. Navy had a legal duty to remove all federal government property from me, from me, including the spying devices used against me. Did they do it? No. They didn't do it. Why? We want to know why. Why do they continue to spy on me after my, my, my obligation into the military? These are questions that have to be answered in the court of law, folks. We want to know answers. Why? And if we don't get answers, folks, your children, uh, the next generation will be illegally eavesdropped on wiretapped without your consent, without a judge's order. Is that what you want this country to be? Oh, we don't need a judge's order. We don't need a judge's decision or opinion. We don't need consent. We're just going to fucking eavesdrop and wiretap your ass while you're having surgery or while you're in the dentist's office. We're just going to implant and track what the fuck you are doing. Because it's our because we, we think we have the power to do that. Do you really have the power to do that without a fucking without a federal judge's order? Without a federal court order, without a court order, or without your consent, folks, really? And that's what we're trying to, to stop here, folks. And, and this case is critical because it's gonna give the government the right to fucking illegally illegally eavesdrop and wiretap. It's gonna give the right to violate your Fourth Amendment rights. It's going to give the government the right to eavesdrop and wiretap on you anytime you want to do that. And that is not right, folks. This is why we have a constitution. It is why we have uh, judges. This is why we have lawyers. This is why we have courtrooms. This is why we have police officers, folks. And if we don't have those in our, in our constitution, and if we don't have those in our lives, then what is this country good for? What is this country good for, folks? We are trying to stop the illegal spying, espionage, illegal eavesdropping and wiretapping, illegal uh, illegal violation of the Fourth Amendment. You understand what the fuck I'm thinking? The Fourth Amendment says it's unconstitutional to search and seize anybody's papers or thoughts or minds. And I'm doing that. I'm broadcasting what I'm thinking to society and to the government and to the enemy. 
It's a violation of the Fourth Amendment. Search and seizure, folks. You cannot do that. Do you understand it? It's not right, folks. And if you don't stop that now, folks, they're going to get your children next. They're going to even get you next. And the way we stop these crimes, folks, is that we have law. We have common law in our law in our law in our law libraries that lawyers use, that judges that judges use to stop a case. Grab a petition. Grab a lawsuit in a court of law. Go to a courthouse and ask for a lawsuit, copy of a lawsuit, personal injury, and see what the judges write. Nine times out of ten, judges will use case law, common law, on their decisions. And that's how they stop cases from proceeding, folks. And this, is what, this is what this case has to happen. If you don't stop the illegal spying and eavesdropping and wiretapping, folks, they're going to give the government more power to spy on you legally and wiretap you and get them go right into your living room in your house, folks. Folks, Let me tell you a story. I was at the, the Toyota shop here fixing my vehicle, and I, I, put, I, put, the, I put my uh, car into the shop, and I was sat in the lobby room, and I noticed his vehicle had like a, some kind of animal on the side. And I think it was an insurance company. Anyway, I sat, went inside and I sat down in the, uh, in the living room, in the uh, waiting room area of the uh, Toyota dealership. And I sat down and said, lady, and she was typing up a thing. And, uh, and she asked me, what, do you have a vehicle here? I said, yeah, I have my car here. I said, uh, what are you here? She was, oh, I'm, I work for this company, this corporation. I said, what kind of corporation? Oh, it's a corporation that deals with uh, some kind of, uh, corporation, I can't disclose it. And I said, "Yeah, you like it?" She goes, "No, I don't like it." I said, "Well, why don't you like it?" She goes, "Well, I'm driving the company car, but they had this camera right on me everywhere I fucking go. Everywhere I go, I said, "Well, where's the camera?" She says, "Mounted inside the car, facing me, and they see me what I'm doing and what I'm driving." Now, there's a couple of things wrong with this, folks. One, they must inform you about the cameras in the car when you got hired. Two, uh, it, it, it's just a violation of your rights to have a camera recorded without your consent, folks. There's a lot of justification that has to be here as to why the camera is there, folks. Technically, they can't do that because you're invading your privacy and your space, folks. Technically, they can't do that. So, it's getting to where the federal government thinks it's okay to spy on you. Corporations okay to spy on you. And this is why we have to stop all this from happening, folks. We have to establish some laws. It has to start somewhere. It has to start somehow. What better place than here? What better place than now? And you see, folks... In order to stop the illegal spying, illegal espionage, the case I'm going to the Fifth Circuit of Court is going to do that, folks. It's going to preserve our constitutional rights. We want to know why they broadcasting my life, why they invaded my life, where I'm broadcasting that for you to understand. And if we don't stop it now, folks, then we're all going to suffer as, as, as a country. We're all going to suffer as lawyers. We're all going to suffer as judges, and we're all going to suffer as police officers. 
because they're going to wiretap police officers, they're going to wiretap judges, they're going to wiretap lawyers, they're going to wiretap your children, they're going to wiretap while you're in surgery, and you can't say a fucking word about it. All because the, the decision that they made in the Fifth Court Appeals, they denied my case. The district court judge denied my case. It's okay to spy on somebody. It's okay to illegally eavesdrop and wiretap. It's not okay, folks. And the Constitution says that. Prohibited illegal eavesdropping and wiretapping through oral, verbal, or communication is prohibited, folks. Authorization to illegally eavesdrop and wiretap. In this case, it didn't. The Navy didn't have justification. They did not have my consent to illegally eavesdrop and wiretap me. They didn't have a federal court order. Or they didn't have probable cause. Because if they had probable cause to illegally eavesdrop and wiretap me, I would not have been in the fucking military if they had probable cause to illegally eavesdrop and wiretap me back in 1994. That is the problem, folks. If they had probable cause to suspect that they can eavesdrop and wiretap you, you would not be in the fucking military. Do you understand me? And in this case, it didn't, folks. It didn't do that. So the critical complaint that I bring to the courts, folks, is that one is espionage because I was serving during the time of war. The Navy had no consent. They had no probable cause. They didn't have a federal court order to eavesdrop and wiretap or spy on me. The second part is that when I left the military, they should have removed or taken away the spying devices and they didn't do it. And the third part is that they violated my fourth constitutional right. They left it in knowing that my obligation had ended and they continued to on to monetary spy on me after the fact, after my obligation ended, folks, which is a Fourth Amendment violation. And who other than that to investigate that? Your senator, your congressman, and the fucking FBI. If you go to the FBI's website and you type in their mission, what does it say, folks? We investigate civil rights complaint. We investigate domestic terrorism. So why is it that when I go to the FBI, they denied my case? Or why is it that I walk into the congressman's office and they can't cut the red tape? And that's another crime because the Constitution says uh, we will punish people who deprive people of their civil rights and liberties. If I went to a congressman, I went to the FBI agent and they did not investigate my complaint. That's deprivation of my civil rights and liberties. And if the, the congressman uh, was barred or told not to investigate, that's conspiracy to deprive civil rights. Complaint. That's another constitutional law that they have broken, folks. And so we want this to be in court, to be heard, to be discovered. That way we can correct this. Because if not, they're going to continue to come after you, your children, your neighbors, your boss, your spouse, your work, your car, your house. What about that guy that comes knocking at your door? This is the Church of Christ. Can we come in and talk to you? Yeah, sure. Come on in. The two people walk in. They sit down with you. Hey, can I use your restroom? Yeah. He goes to the bathroom. He puts the bug under your bed. Puts the bug in your carpet. Now he comes back from the bathroom. Goes, sits and talks about the gospel. And they got you. 
They got you. That simple. We have to be careful of what is going on around us, folks. Legal devices that track people, legal devices that can hear information, broadcasting uh, your privacy in your life, uh, implanting and tracking Americans is inhumane, folks. We're not animals. We are human beings who created the Constitution to preserve our constitutional rights. The right to, to freedom, the right to be uh, right, rightfully employed and gainfully employed without being discriminated. Because they did. The U.S. Navy chose me out of the Marine Corps to implant, track, and spy me, spy on me. Only me. In 1994. Why? Why only me? And we've been there before, folks. We've been through this before. With the African-American uh, military personnel in the Air Force who were used for syphilis. They injected them with syphilis. If you're a black African male in the Air Force. Discrimination has no right in our Constitution. It has no right in our freedom. And we must hold the courts accountable for this. And we must hold judges accountable for this. And if it comes to your desk as a judge, you must impartially look at the case to protect our country from being abolished. Because if you don't protect the country from being abolished by establishing law or writing laws or, 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 or awarding cases, who is going to do that? Thank you and God bless America. Okay, folks, uh, here I am at the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And the issue today is um, a caption. A caption is important. Why? Because uh, you file a lawsuit in district court. And those parties are listed on your petition. Okay. So I filed it in district court and um, the parties were identified on my caption. Okay. And then I amended my petition and I included another party to the case, which was approved by the judge. Went on, went on, went on. And uh, then uh, the judge cited no complaint or anything. So we went on and then the judge ordered it that they would not hear the case. So I filed an appeal. <clears throat> so here we are in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, and the D.C.'s caption is wrong. So I asked the judge to amend the caption so I can fix the caption to the way it was in the D.C. The judge denied it. So I filed a motion of reconsideration with the U.S. Supreme Court case, citing that Judge Montepayor, the U.S. Supreme Court Justice, sent back a case to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals stating, hey, if a person is missing the lawsuit, we can send it all the way back to the courts to put the person in the lawsuit, the real name of the person. Okay? If the U.S. Supreme Court heard that case, why can I get my motion to change my caption on my case? Doesn't make any sense, folks. So we're still waiting on the case. Uh, we're still waiting to see if the caption can be allowed to be changed. If not, Proceed on, and then we'll go to the U.S. Supreme Court, and then we'll make an, an issue to the Supreme Court that, look, you said that you can change a caption or a name on the lawsuit. Why can't you change a caption on a lawsuit here? So, I mean, it's just some questions that need to be answered, and questions to me need to be questioned of why is it 
that we cannot change a caption <clears throat> to a lawsuit. Thank you. Uh, this podcast is dealing with freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and freedom to redress to government for grievances. Today's date is uh, February 14, 2020. Happy Valentine's Day. As I talked to an early podcast, I was talking about uh, uh, the caption and be able to change that in the court of law while in in proceeding. Uh, I got an article here from the American Bar Journal. It says, uh, titled U.S. Supreme Court, <clears throat> it says, uh, Supreme Court allows do-over for lawyers who sued the wrong party by Deborah Cassens Weiss, dated June 7, 2010, at 2.53 p.m. Okay. It, it's it, What happens here, folks, is that the Supreme Court allows a do-over for a lawyer who sued the wrong party. And it's stating that it allowed the attorney to go back and change the names on the petition, on the caption of the parties that were involved in the suit. Okay, that's what the Supreme Court said. It says the Atlanta-based 11th, 11th U.S. Circuit of Appeals has had dismissed the suit. The appeals court found that the information on the proper party was contained in the passenger ticket, and the plaintiff's lawyer should have known should have known that Custier was the proper party. So Tamayo wrote that the appeals court used the wrong analyst. By focusing on Crumpus' knowledge, the Court of Appeals chose the wrong starting point, she said. The proper question is whether Costa Crenciere knew or should have known that it would have been named as a defendant but for an error. Krupski was one of the four opinions issued today by the U.S. Supreme Court. Three of them in argued cases. Okay, so there you go, folks. And that's the same thing with mine. All we're asking is the judge, the federal, the circuit judge, is to change the caption of the names that were that were listed on the amended petition in the district court. The proper name is in the district court, folks. The parties involved, and all we're asking is for the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals to to uh, to, to 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 grant me permission to change the names to the proper party on the captions from here on out. Thank you. Okay, folks, this case is in regards to the caption, the change of parties on the petition heard by the U.S. Supreme Court, and I'm going to let you hear the case today, okay? Here we go. We'll hear argument this morning in case 09, Kropsky versus Costa Crochier, SPA. Mr. Bender. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, this case revolves around Rule 15C1C of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure, in pertinent part, if two subsections are, are satisfied, the rule permits relation back of an amendment adding a new defendant after expiration of the limitations period. The courts below found, and respondent does not question, that we satisfied the first subsection, notice and no prejudice. That arose from the service of the original complaint upon Costa Cruz, the agent and corporate affiliate represented by the same attorney as respondent Costa Cochiera. Do you know, Mr. Bender, what exactly the corporate relationship was between the two? No, Your Honor. Not the corporate relation. The functional relationship as described in the affidavit is that Costa Cruz is the booking agent for Costa Cochiera, and for the notice procedure, uh, according to the affidavit of Mr. Klotz, Costa Cruz engaged the uh, IRSI Adjustment Service to resolve claims uh, arising on the ship. So in that respect, it was also, in our view, an agent of Costa Cochiera. But the specific corporate relationship is not known. Thank you. Because of that 
uh, timely service on Costa Cruz, we satisfied the first subsection. And as this court noted in Chavon, timely service on one defendant may serve to be to give imputed notice to a related defendant, which is what we have here. Counsel, your your client tripped over the table, right? Correct. What if the case were there were two people behind her and she was pushed, and she didn't know which one pushed her, Jones or Smith? So she sues Jones, and Smith knows all about it because, of course, he's a key witness or whatever. And can he be substituted later on because he was the person she should have sued? If you're talking about a lack of knowledge of the real name, probably not just the real name. It's not that Jones pushed her, but his real name is Johnson. It's that Jones, whoever pushed her, I forget, but one guy, one of the people pushed her, and she named that person, she named the other person. She made a mistake about who pushed her. Can they have substitution in that case? I would say yes, because, again, assuming that all of the other criteria are satisfied. Yeah, the non-pusher has notice and everything else, but there's no relationship between the two of them. It's obviously a slightly different and more difficult case from our perspective, but what I think is critical is the status that's involved. In this particular case, the suit was filed against the vessel operator, and that vessel operator was identified as Costa Cruz when we know that the actual identity was Costa Cochier. When was your first notice of that? I mean, it was on the first page of the ticket, but the answer came after the statute of limitations. Was that your first notice, that there was this different entity, or did you know that earlier? We say that was the first notice. Now, the circuit court used an imputed knowledge rationale to suggest that the inclusion of the name Costa Cochier within the definition section gave us what I would call constructive notice. But in terms of actual knowledge that we had sued the wrong party, it was the answer which was filed after. Well, you don't, I didn't understand you to deny that the ticket made it very clear who operated the ship. I'm not sure. Do you contest that? I contest that it makes it very clear, but I don't contest that one could conclude that that provided constructive notice that if read carefully, one might infer. Well, why not? Don't you read the contract carefully before you bring a lawsuit? Well, actually, it was under definitions, and according to the definitions, Costa Cochier fell within the same definition of carrier as the steward, the ship itself, any... So you either are contesting or you're not contesting that it's clear from the ticket. I had assumed it was clear from the ticket. I am not agreeing that it's clear. I am agreeing that it provides constructive notice from which one might infer that. Not clear, but discernible. So you had, so then you had notice even before the suit was filed. It was on the ticket. We had what the circuit court referred to as imputed knowledge. Now, I think there's... Did the name show up any place other than page one of the general conditions of passage? I don't believe so, Your Honor. And this is what, an 11-page, very small print? It's an 11-page, small print document, and 
one thing that bears mention is that reference is under the designation definitions because respondent makes some hay out of the fact that we complied with other requirements which are under a different heading which says limitations of liability. But what we also had was that we purchased the ticket from Costa Cruz. It was sent by Costa Cruz. We had the pre-suit notice sent to Costa Cruz, responded by the gentleman under the heading Costa that says claims administrator for Costa Cruz. So there was certainly what I would call conflicting information at best about which was the name of the actual vessel operator. Not if you read the definitions on page one. And if you're not going to read all 11 pages before you file suit, I would think you would at least read page one. And that seems to me made it clear. Well, under the same definition, the steward would be a carrier every bit as much as Costa Cruciera SPA. So it seems to me by that reasoning, you could conclude that the steward or the janitor is the vessel operator because they are likewise defined as a carrier in that definitional section. And in fact, it also includes the vessel itself within the definition. So let's assume that my client had, instead of suing Costa Cruz, sued Costa Magica, the name of the vessel itself. Most of the cases would say that an amendment like that to add the actual name, once you have identified the status of the defendant you seek to sue, falls within the subsection two, which is addressed primarily to the constructive notice of the defendant. That they knew or should have known that they would have been brought in the suit, but for a mistake concerning the proper party's identity. The general focus of that second subsection, I think, is to look to whether this defendant knew or should have known that it was the intended target. Let me, I've been thinking about the Chief Justice's question. Where two people are pushing, you don't know which, or two people fire the shotgun and there's only one pellet, you don't know which gun the pellet came from. In that case, I think we could stipulate that even by reasonable inquiry, you wouldn't know. In your case, I think the difference, and I think the difference in the cases is that reasonable inquiry means you should have known. So now we have a rule that excuses something you should have known, but doesn't excuse something you couldn't have known, which seems odd. And because it's odd, therefore, maybe that's why it only applies to clerical errors. Well, actually, when it talks of mistake, it seems to me that the very notion of mistake connotes error. I looked at a couple of definitions, dictionary definitions. Merriam-Webster's defines a mistake as, quote, a wrong judgment, or quote, a wrong action or statement proceeding from faulty judgment, inadequate knowledge, or inattention. So at least in that colloquial sense, the very nature of mistake implies some measure of blameworthiness. And indeed, it's hard to conceive of a mistake that couldn't be avoided. And I think that's the problem with looking to the ticket. Because what the definition on the ticket essentially says is, with due diligence, you might have avoided the mistake. But in my view, and I think in the view of the language of the rule, that doesn't change the very nature of it as being a mistake. Counsel, assume I accept your argument. And I am 
the cruise operator or the cruise owner, cruise ship owner. And I look at the complaint and I say, I think they really meant me. But I think now within the 4M period, which is the period in which I'm supposed to reasonably know that I would have been named absent the mistake, here an answer is filed. And you're told there's a mistake. And you don't correct the mistake. What conclusion would a reasonable person at that second juncture make about whether you made a mistake or not? And I think that's what the issue is here, which is assuming the complaint could be read as a mistake during the 4M period, wasn't that mistake corrected and you refused or failed to act? Let me respond both legally and factually. Legally, I submit that it doesn't make a difference because under the text of the rule, if during that 4M period they had the knowledge that you're suggesting, and which would be suggested by the respondent when they say, I think, if you had filed the amended complaint and served it a month after the answer would have been timely, we would have done it. That acknowledges that there was a mistake. And once there is a mistake, if during that 120-day period they knew or should have known that it would have been brought against them but for the mistake, that knowledge doesn't evaporate by later events. As long as there is knowledge during that period. I think that makes so little sense to me. Here, I think, and for the following reason, you seriously, I don't think, could contend that if you had sought to amend a year later, that that would have been timely, correct? Correct. All right, but putting aside prejudice, what the lower court said was because your delay speaks to a choice, that that's the only thing a reasonable defendant would have assumed, that having been told that you sued the wrong party and you continued in that action, that that's what you intended to do, to sue that wrong party. Let me point out factually, and I did not stress it in my brief, the answer was filed on February 25th. Twenty-three days later, on March 20th, the court entered a scheduling order which said you have until the end of June to amend your complaint to add parties. So it seems to me that a defendant faced with a court order that says the time for amendment extends until the end of June would not be drawing any conclusions that the plaintiff's state of mind had changed. One difficulty with trying to look at different points during the 120-day period is that it seems to me we'd have a constantly moving target. If you say that we satisfied 120M at one point in time, but somehow that's not enough, and at a later point in time, maybe they didn't know it anymore, and then perhaps, I guess in theory, you could have them again, if we had sent them a letter even after that and said, you know, we really did mean it, and then for some reason they concluded otherwise, you'd have a constantly moving target. Mr. Benger, would you explain one factual matter to me? I might have gotten this wrong, but I thought the answer was filed after the one year had run. It had. So when the answer was filed, 
it was too late for you to come within the statute of limitations. Absolutely. And I thought that would be the answer that you would give to Justice Sotomayor, because when you got the answer, which was uh, filed after how many days? Uh, it was filed, I think, 24 days after the complaint. You, you had gotten that a few days earlier. You could have amended, and then we wouldn't be here. That's certainly true, Your Honor. And I think it also... I'm sorry. You, you have 120 days to amend, don't you, from the filing of the complaint? No, Your Honor. The 120 days is the time frame for, for the notice to the defendant. Right. It, it, 120 days after the amended complaint is our time for service of the amended complaint, complaint. on the new defendant. But I think that the point that is raised by Justice Ginsburg is this. Once we find out and the limitation period has already expired, school's out. If we tried to amend immediately thereafter, if we hadn't made a mistake, we couldn't amend one day after expiration of the limitation period. So if we had acted immediately, we still don't get relation back unless we've satisfied the two criteria of the subsection. But if we do satisfy those within the 120-day period, then we fall in the safe haven provided by the rule, whether the amendment itself occurs one week, three weeks, or seven weeks afterwards. That but the basic point is the answer didn't come in until you were already out under the statute of limitations. Correct. So from that point of view, nothing else matters. You were out when they filed their answer, and you could do nothing to cure that. We could do nothing to, as a matter of right, file... Okay, I'm going to speed it up a little bit here. Did your amended complaint of the running of the limitations period or the service of... Talking about the mindset of the egregious uh, May 6th. Two days later, the court erroneously dismissed the 